What was kind of your first esports experience? Yeah. Uh. Well, hmm, my first esports experience would probably be well. Like the first broadcast I ever watched was League of Legends Worlds, I think, in like 2016. 2016. Um, yeah. So like I'm actually a, a big newcomer to the scene. Mm. I'm not that far off from you, like myself. I think it definitely would have been like season. I watched season two worlds, I think, and barely mm. understood what was going on. <laughs> right. Because uh, it was just like the world finals, and you're just like, oh, cool, this they're playing a video game I kind of play with some friends. Um, so I would consider us both new on the scale of things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we we don't have like the decades, but yeah, it was I was just watching League, and I was like, this is you know high production value, this is good stuff, and even though I didn't understand what was going on at all, and um, it, it was still like I can I can see the like analytics behind it like what the strategy and stuff and that was what really uh drew me to that broadcast and then when overwatch came out um i think the first overwatch thing i watched was world cup 2016 and and then you know since overwatch is very like mobile based and you can see kind of like the team play and that strategy going behind it that's what also like drew me to overwatch versus kind of the fps side of things which i've never really been into you know it's kind of like i feel like a lot of like asian people don't have any background in video games because like video games was what you could like sneak at like two o'clock in the morning on your laptop so it was like fallout and you know oblivion and things that your mom's not going to catch you playing because you're never going to get actual time or money to like spend on like you know video games so was it that bad for you necessarily when you were younger because i'll be like up front with you i had quite an open experience to video games obviously not to like esports when i was younger but like i yeah i remember it must have been like six or seven getting a, a playstation and a, a copy of rayman christmas day like were you like starved of video games when you were younger yeah, I mean, like, I actually, I, I would say I had a very typical Chinese-American upbringing, but probably very atypical compared to, like, my uh, Caucasian counterparts, right? Because, like, we would, I would, like, this has turned into, like, hammy teas, you know, fun time childhood reminiscing, but um, it, <laughs> I, I would, like, wake up at, sat at like, 6 o'clock in the morning to watch, like, Pokemon, and my mom would get so pissed. She, like, we didn't, we weren't allowed to watch any TV unless it was, like, the news, and then we weren't allowed to play any games because we were like saving for my college fund you know what i mean like right. i literally played the only game i ever played was crash bash on the playstation way 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 back in the day um yeah so it was literally just like sneaking sneaking time sneaking hours we were allowed to play half an hour of video games every week um which is like no time right like you couldn't yeah. possibly do anything uh, get anything done um but video games was like very close to like drugs in like the level of forbiddenness for for my mom who you know bless her heart like everybody just tries to go through life doing what they think is right right i don't blame her at all but um it definitely like like everything that i really enjoyed doing was bad and everything i hated like math and you know chinese school and shit like that was good so i you know and i don't i like still came out of i'm all right but like it, it was just very much like my focus was diverted very very severely to like one side of life and i never really was able to explore video games esports like even just like getting up and like performing for somebody like casting until i was an adult so gonna be honest with you i've we've known each other a little bit in the past i didn't know it was uh <laughs> didn't know that was the sort of upbringing you had because you don't 
from the outside looking in, it seemed like your your mom had like this set pathway for you to follow. And it was like, okay, well, ha- limit the video game time because, like you said, save towards college fund. Everything was there for your university. I was, I'm guessing it was very academically focused as well with your childhood. Dude, I won, like, so many fucking math competitions. <laughs> I was a beast. Um, and I, I'm, like, not dumb. And I still think that, you know, like, going the academic path is certainly more stable. Mm. But it's not the only way. Yeah. Right? And, and that's always the thing. It's not the only way to like go through life so yeah i mean i went to like berkeley right uh and that's the good school from what i hear <laughs> but i spent all my time it's an american school right so i don't know the context like i i'm filthy brit i only know like yale is like a good one or mit <laughs> or harvard those yeah are, like, those are also very good schools yeah <laughs> is berkeley um, good i don't know yeah, yeah, I mean it's kind of like a it's like a West Coast Ivy, I guess. We're we're mm-hmm. academic rivals with Stanford. Okay. Um, we're not enemies, just rivals. We're enemies with USC. Boo. Uh, I mean it's like you know USC sucks. KFC. Oh yeah. I'm gonna guess now because this is shows how I understand American abbreviations. I'm guessing that's the University of Southern California. Yep. Exactly. Oh, what a they guess. are. Uh, I dude, you are on top of it. I mean, it could have been University of South Carolina. It could have been University of like you know Scrummy Crumpets. There's there's a bunch of different ones. So yeah, South Carolina. I I did think about that. And I was like, wait, why would they be like enemies with a university like halfway across the country? <laughs> it just made no sense. Yeah, the the hatred is strong. No, um, that's that's kind of how I got into like the very very beginnings, the ticklings, the inklings of esports for me. So. And then you kind of like followed through, like, I guess the path to pro, right? Because you you did like some, I'm guessing you started with Scrim Knights with Broadcast GG. Then you did some open division coverage. I made Scrim Knights with Broadcast GG. That was like how, <laughs> that was like how early on I jumped on like that BGG train. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like that's like kind of my one claim to fame, like my, my, my impression on the community. But when I first, like, I, when did I join? Like uh, quite a while back, I remember we had like 200 members maybe in, in the discord and it was very quiet. Everybody was kind of just going along and doing their own thing and talking to each other in like a friendly way, but not necessarily looking for like uh, that professional impact mm-hmm. yet at that time um and i was like muju must have hated me i was so annoying i would just come in every day because like i had actually only joined the server because um well, actually it all went back to dreamhack denver way back in the day like two years ago or so now um and i when i met left guy alex gilfrost who by the way is still one of my favorite humans in the universe dude is just so good he's done so much good for the community just out of like you know, the kindness of his heart. Uh, but like, I owe so many of my abilities and starts to him. But uh, but yeah, he was like, oh, so, you know, you're interested in casting. And I heard there's this casting server. Oh, what's it called? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was actually Nuki who hooked me up with BGG. But, you know, nobody was really doing anything there. It was kind of Lemon and Moosh just, you know, working hard, grinding on their own. But I would come in every day and be like, yo, you got to scream. You guys got to scrim, you got to scrim, you got to scrim. And it got so annoying to the point where I would just like go out and find scrims and then bring them, you know, be like, hey, anybody else want to tag in on this scrim? I just like, you know, talk to this coach or, you know, something or this team. And that's kind of how Scrim Nights got set up. And uh, Cock Knight or KO Knight, uh, Brian Martinez runs that whole whole show now. But like originally it was literally just like me and Boosh kind of just like her to her, like figure it out as we went along. 
but it, it became massively popular and that was that was where I got started. Do you ever go back to to scrim nights and kind of look at it and go, you're doing it wrong? Like that's not how I would have handled things. Do you kind of like have a sense of um, ownership over it, I guess? Uh, there's definitely a sense of ownership, but that, you know, that's kind of like the baby has flown the nest, you know? Mm. Uh, I, I don't, I like to go back and like see that things are still like chugging along and doing well. And I get the pings. I still get the pings when, you know, uh, Cockney is like, oh, hey, you know, talent, put up your schedules and stuff. And he's just such a great dude, just, you know, because nobody's putting pressure on him. Like, oh, you got to don't forget to like go and do the scrim nice thing. You know, again, it's just the whole BGG community is made out of people who have like this internal drive, right? Mm. It's not anybody else telling them to do this or, you know, maintain the community like or that kind of thing. It's, you know, hungry people who just are doing this because they love they love broadcasting so much. So um I don't really go back and be like, ah, Excel. I, I would have maybe done a Word document this time <laughs> around. Uh, I'm just, uh, nothing like that. It's because, like, I'm actually organizationally horrible. Like, I try. I always get put in these roles where I'm, like, the admin or the administrator or, like, the, you know, organizer or something. And I enjoy it. It's fine. But I don't think that I have enough eye to detail to, like, make that work and run smoothly long term. So, like originally, when we kind of went from scrim nights into open div, man, the first time we ever cast open div playoffs, and uh, we had no backing, and we were like, we were just like barely kind of skating under the radar and contacting teams, and nobody would give us the time of day except for Morte. Way back in the day, he was like one of our true believers, along with uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Horn. So. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of like, I, f I feel that we run so much more smoothly now, in large part because I'm no longer in charge of scheduling <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of thing, uh, because it really is not my strength. Um, so, yeah. So organizational skills lacking, people have picked up the slack for you a little bit in that regard, because you've moved on to uh, different things or different elements about it. I'm so lucky, man. I mean, you, you get to move away from the boring stuff now, the uh, the grinding, I'm going to ask people to do it, and you just turn up and you cast a few games now. Uh, you're like, see ya, Cap. Nah, not really. I just, I, I like, this is something that has always kind of trailed me because I'm like, not not to be like, <laughs> you know, a perfect Asian, but I, you know, you have a lot of strengths, but you have to, you can't say yes to everybody. I think that's something that I've also picked up as I've like grown older is that, you know, sometimes the best thing to actually say to help somebody out is like, hey, I don't think that I'm actually, you know, the best person for this job. Like, hey, you know, like Brian, he's super, super good at this. And he's always like really on schedule and like organizationally super smart. And uh, he could he could definitely do this really well for you. And instead of just like being like, oh, no, I could totally do that. But I could do that, too. You want me to write an article? Yeah, I got that. You know, you want me to come and help you like organize? you know uh, a tv show perfect like you you spread yourself too thin and then not only are you suffering but your product is suffering and then nobody's happy i think that's one of the mistakes i actually made when i was like learning and developing was taking on jobs i couldn't do just because i liked the idea of me working right and so it's something i've grown out of now thankfully but i remember i'll be honest with you like i did the um like last year, I did the Clash Royale Crown Championship, which was like the the tier one broadcast of like Clash Royale. So I did oh, that yeah. in 2017. I was actually in Burbank for two and a half months for the first season, then in Cologne on and off for like the second season. And that was such a last minute job because they contacted me and 
at the time there was a real drought of english speaking european talent and they kind of wanted european uh, a sense of regional identity mm-hmm. with their broadcast so they had to find some guys from the uk or some girls from the uk or whoever to commentate clash royale because it wasn't much interest in the uk at the time and mm-hmm. i basically had to try and learn clash royale to a competitive standard in two weeks <laughs> to do what is essentially their tier one broadcast and yeah it wasn't so much of like i didn't understand the game i obviously there was work to do with game knowledge that went on but it's more of like stylistically i wasn't a fit for that kind of broadcast because at the time i was very like you know kind of serious trying to weave in a little bit of fun but i felt like in that first year they kind of wanted like basically they wanted like the happy smiley kid-friendly youtuber vibe which is not something i do ah uh, like relaxed crowd kind of like it, it felt like that from the production standpoint and that was something i couldn't deliver on and that's something i knew i couldn't deliver on but because i just wanted to do the work and, and grind and see if i could do it i went ahead and accepted the job but like in hindsight now if i was put in the same situation i would look at it and kind of go maybe at that time where i was back then where i didn't have a, a range if you would call it that was a bad thing to do. Like mm-hmm. now I reckon I could pick up on it and do it a little bit better, but that just comes from experience. But like, it, it's the same logic of, I don't think I'm right for the job. I should probably find someone else mm-hmm. who is. And Right. Yeah. Cause like I, that actually almost happened to me with PUBG. I got, um, I, I got an offer to move to Texas to cast PUBG for like their their season long tournament i actually forget how how many months exactly it was but yeah i was like i've never cast PUBG. i know i can learn it but is this really the right move yo because like that i think that was exactly the same time when i was being when we were getting uh, south american contenders mm. running and i was like you know i got a paying gig right here but i got to learn a whole new game and move my ass down to texas texas used to live there lovely place it's not the location but yeah again it's kind of like I'm pretty sure somebody else who already, you know, loves PUBG and more importantly knows PUBG would be able to do this much better, even just beyond stylistic differences. How much do you follow other esports then? If you like, you are aware of PUBG, obviously, like it's hard to ignore it, right? I've only ever seen you work in Overwatch, as have a lot of Overwatch casters, to be frank. But like, are there any other games that have piqued your interest that you kind of thought, maybe I could jump in and do that if I just had a little bit of time to dedicate myself to it? Oh, yeah. I'm actually uh, very interested in Rainbow Six. This is, okay, a recent love. So no grilling on the details or anything. Uh, operators, they're called operators. I'd love to cast Rainbow Six. I actually really wanted to cast um, uh, Brawl Stars, but I don't know. I don't think that's the direction it's going to go. I just love Brawl Stars so much. Um, yeah, but for me, Rainbow Six, also extremely, like, a very analytical game, complicated with high, like, mechanical skill cap, of course. Um, you know, similar in many ways to Overwatch, I would say. Uh but yeah, I just haven't had the time, honestly, to, to devote to it because you actually, this was a very astute point. Many of the people, many much of the broadcast talent in Overwatch, this is their first title, right? Um, and I think there's something that says a lot about Overwatch as a game and the kind of community that it supports. Um, it's definitely a lot of like... I would say esports atypical folks who are who are being drawn to Overwatch, and I think that might explain kind of why a lot of the talent, you know, maybe this is the first or their main title that they cast, right? Because because um, like like there's a lot of overlap in 
like genre and style between kind of the other FPS and then if you go into like MOBAs and the Hearthstone's kind of over in its own corner. Um, but if you never really had that traditional esports background or that gaming background, like I didn't, like Overwatch is on one hand extremely complicated, but also very approachable. It's like skiing, right? Like it's going to take you like 10 years to master. But if you put the skis on, you can probably, you know, go down the slope your first day. And I think that's what draws a lot of like this, uh, the talent to Overwatch who maybe don't have as much of that FPS background. Yeah, it's one of the things I have noticed, like, especially with leg day, right? Because me, before we did contenders, me, Jaws, and Dez all knew each other from uh, just stuff in the UK. Uh, you guys were League, right? You guys cast League, right? Yeah, yeah, we all did League at some point. And, um, you know, we, we all came through like a university organization called the Null. So that's how we right. kind of all knew each other beforehand. But, um, we all had different uh, different esports background, and if you're going to continue with um, Rainbow Six Siege or you want to look into it, you should actually speak to Des because he's got loads of Rainbow Six stuff lined up in the next couple of months. Because that's kind of where he shifted Ooh. focus, so he can be more uh, local just for his business. Um, yes, um, but yeah, there's a lot of people, especially like they who have just Overwatch was his first esport, and it it's different. Because I look at some of the stuff that happens in this particular ecosystem, some good, some bad, and go, mm-hmm. that wouldn't happen in this game. And and I think a lot of it is down to, like you said, it is. It, there's something about Overwatch where it's just different in in certain ways that makes it a little bit more accessible. But then you look at the actual gameplay itself, and the gameplay is not accessible to watch. So I really don't understand how we've drawn this unique crowd to the game. It just baffles my mind because Overwatch is, to me anyway, is so difficult to watch if you don't have a base understanding of the game yeah. compared to something like Rocket League where it's just football or soccer with cars. Soccer with cars. You can just understand it straight away. And CSGO as well, at a base level, you can understand, oh, I killed these people or I planted this bomb or vice versa. I killed them and stopped the bomb from being planted. Overwatch, there's so much more going on. So I don't understand how this is like the first esport for people when it's not the easiest to watch as a spectator. I think I know why. I think uh, as like an atypical esport person, um, I think it actually has very little to do with how much of the actual gameplay you understand. It's kind of like the culture and community that you cultivate around it, right? So Overwatch is obviously amongst all these major titles made a distinct and public effort at inclusion and diversity, which I think that's the reason that people who normally don't gravitate towards esports love Overwatch. It has nothing to actually do with the game, even though the game is fun to play or infuriating to play, whichever side of the aisle that you're on. Um, it has a lot to do with, you know, just like when I'm not playing the game, who are my friends that I'm chatting to, right? Like when I watch a broadcast, is it like friendly? Is it inclusive? Does it have like stuff that I like personally watching? Um, And I think that's kind of what makes Overwatch so popular, not necessarily the actual gameplay or quality of play. Yeah, there is some, I get what you mean absolutely about the inclusivity because I don't think I've seen broadcasts prior to overwatch league in particular doing things like you know they had the uh, the pride day broadcast right pride week i believe and you know the teams were coming out with pride variants of their jerseys i believe and there were flags everywhere in the arena yep they were giving out like those rainbow wristbands 
I knew because I was like, I have to have one. Did you get one though? I did get one. Oh my God. I got, I got really lucky. I got two. I got one for my sister too. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the stuff, right? Like Tracer face of Overwatch. She's an open lesbian. That's like never happened before. I mean, people were like freaking out that a woman was on the cover of like Battlefield, <laughs> right? Like that she'd simply existed in their space. This is my space. Right. And so being able to like love gaming and just, you know, be yourself and exist as you are, you know, speaking to all the our LGBTQ friends, uh, that's that's actually really huge and part of that draw. So even if you say like, oh, well, but it's just like pandering and blah, I'm like visibility matters, yo. Like this is why it's popular. Most recently, we're talking about the kind of community positive reaction to it and a negative reaction. We have to kind of look at uh, Soldier mm -hmm. 76's recent revelation, right? Oh yeah, my big gay dad. It doesn't matter to me the sexual identity of a character in the game, right? To me personally. Mm -hmm. But I know it matters to other people. And I, I bear that in mind. So there is no positive or negative reaction for me personally for Soldier 76 being non-hetero. But I know it gives a positive reaction to a lot of people. The negative reaction, I look at it and go, why does it matter to you? If you don't, if this isn't important to you, why are you upset that it's happened? And why are you kicking up a fuss? Because it, mm -hmm. it's not meant for you, right? If you don't care about it, it doesn't matter. Just, it doesn't suddenly change anything about the way you play the hero just carry on playing the game you need to pick soldier pick soldier i don't think anyone's gone as far as boycotting the hero altogether because i do think that that's when it starts getting a little bit ridiculous i mean it wouldn't surprise me i imagine there's probably one there's probably one somewhere holding out still i won't pick it it's a dps main he was a soldier main he's <laughs> shut down his account bought another one and he's starting all up again with just a probably a doomfist one trick now knowing him I don't know. Maybe he's just like McCree. I'm hanging all my hopes on you, my hit scan straight brother. <laughs> That's the thing. Do we do we know? Because we're just assuming that all the other heroes are heterosexual. Do we know that they're not? Nobody knows anything. E exactly. So, yeah. Like if it's no, you have no skin in this game, man. If it doesn't hurt you, yeah. why can't you just let other people have their fun, right? Like, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's always one of those things where I, I think that <laughs> a lot of the time people get upset about nothing. Mm -hmm. and it always seems to be the reaction to it uh, it is mainly the reaction to inclusive things like revealing that like soldier has that backstory but it's um always does surprise me the uh the narrow-mindedness of the community in some regards it's like a weird vitriol it's like it stings but you're kind of like uh, like really is this the hill that you're gonna die on because um, <laughs> yeah. again there's so many there's so many things in this world like yo dude just like relax play some games have fun you know uh it's life's too short to get worked up over essentially nothing right um but yeah i mean hey this is again like people love lore like more more of this please uh i don't know like blizzard right now i feel like they're getting kind of pulled in all different kinds of directions like trying to satisfy their the the various bases that they've kind of cultivated right obviously you have the pro side with esports but then the the casual audience the casual playing audience different from like the casual viewing audience versus like the hardcore viewing audience there's like so much to balance it's really hard to make everybody happy that's one of the things i think that the pro players on twitter often forget when they talk about balancing yeah because there's a couple of philosophies that different developers take towards that is like 
are we balancing for the pro community, which is a very small contingent of their entire player base, mm-hmm. or are they balancing for what's happening on on average across their ranks? Because I often feel like pl- pro players will complain about balance changes because obviously it directly affects their their capacity for success. So I understand their investment in seeing certain changes made, mm-hmm. but I often think that there's not enough attention is paid to what the rest of the casual player base is doing because the the way i would look at it the best way i describe it is why they're two different things to someone who doesn't understand the argument is if you look at uh doomfist for example Mm -hmm. if he's played at the high levels in gm teams to a degree know how to play around him for the most part obviously when he's in this strong state you can still one-shot people there's not much you can do about it right but there's a stronger reaction from the team because there's naturally things like more teamwork around them and they're playing together you drop that same level of doomfist into gold or plat with his strength for like smurfs to play Mm -hmm. you've got no hope of shutting that down because there's not the same level of teamwork and communication yeah so you have to be mindful that at your level where the mistakes are so minute that fractional differences are able to decide certain interactions when you get down to the lower levels whether it's in gold and it's in plat like those minute differences don't matter so much anymore but Mm -hmm. they can be abused in unintended ways for me i'm like worse than a gold doomfist like my goal is to stay on the map you know, I'm not even thinking about <laughs> cooldowns or like anything like that. And you're totally right. You know, it's it's the the optics, the lenses that people experience, like these different heroes and stuff is so different. Hmm. What's your like playing experience with Overwatch? What's kind of like your main role when you go into uh, when you queue up in comp or quick play or whatever you, takes your fancy, you know? So I, I'm generally like a tank support main. I've kind of I definitely have a brand as a Rhine main. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I would say like supporting, be, playing a support is generally, I feel like I'm a lot more impactful because as far as like Reinhardt's go, I think personally, like really aggressive Reins get a lot of work done in my elo, which is like Garbo, um, wood tier. So, um, being a support, it feels more impactful for me because I'm like, oh, well I could do damage too without putting my team in, you know, danger versus like a tank is almost all like about positioning, mind gaming, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so playing support is a lot of fun. Oh, dude. Okay, so it has nothing to do with him being my big gay dad, but 76, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's coming back, man. It feels good. They decrease the spread. That's always nice. Uh, you get more bullets, right? Um, uh, per, per like burst. Um, and he's a ton of fun. I think the best part is like, you're like, the way that I play 76 is a little bit more like diva with more deadliness. I, the other day I like, you know, I, I was playing a game with this Ana and we were, oh my God, it felt so good. I'm like, is this what it feels like to have friends? And she was like healing me <laughs> so well and nanoed me for like three of my tack visors. And I, every time she got dove, I would like run over, plop a heel field down for her. And we would just be like bunkered down, peppering away at this Winston. She was sleeping, that would helix him. And it was so good. Um, uh, well, my point yeah so like you have the ability to peel for like your supports um you don't really take anything away from the team generally speaking if you have like fair tracking and it's it, all around it's just really good um 76 i would say right now he's like my favorite hero to play and that's completely unrelated to the law yeah it has nothing to do with anything it's that's just a happy coincidence <laughs> 
I I find I'm in a similar boat with uh, typically find myself playing tank and support because I, mechanically I I've got the big dumb so I don't really <laughs> know what I'm supposed to be doing like uh-huh. in terms of like how I can have that um the aiming mechanics to pull off you know playing like Genji or Tracer or whatnot I can never get that down so I'm just like I'm just gonna play tanks maybe play some supports I, I was a dirty Anna main in season three when Anna was really strong and it's it's when I hit my peak SR of three thousand and eight. Uh, never, <laughs> never hit diamond since. <laughs> right. What? 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 Would, what's your peak SR? Are you? Are you plat caster? I'm definitely plat caster. I am a plat caster, but now since you know I have my partnership with Boop, more like gold. Um, I'm just kidding. It has nothing to do with Boop's McCree. <clears throat> but is Boop's McCree really bad? As he's put it, he's lucky if he hits walls. Um, I've definitely seen him miss walls, so I don't know about that either. Uh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I feel like I used to. Here, here's the thing with like me. I'm actually, I'm actually like a secret rager. I get ultra, ultra competitive, and I've like flamed my team before. I've like rage quit, you know, because like I was like, why the fuck aren't you pocketing me? I like had a perfect shatter, but you know, two people were dead already. It's definitely not my fault. Um, if you had just nan on me. Uh, but yeah, and that's like not a good attitude just in general to take. Like, I don't have the 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 resources or really the time to to become like a very skilled, like competitive player. Again, no background. I kind mm-hmm. of just like started picking up Overwatch like three years ago when it came out. So um, so I think kind of changing my focus to just, you know, chilling and playing with friends. Yeah, whatever. Boops McCree gets like, you know, two kills and I have, you know, gold kills as like a Zen or something. That's totally fine because that's not the point. The point is just to have a good time with your friends. And yeah, I maybe my mechanical skill has kind of deteriorated because of that, but I enjoy it so much more. So it's... Just remove the toxicity from your life, man. Like, I'm so adverse to playing uh, Overwatch specifically by myself is because there is just so... In in gold and... I think it's worse than plat, actually, is where people have this idea that they are better than they are and that they are solely being held back by the quality of their teams. So they will Mm -hmm. use that as any excuse to, like, offset their mistakes to something else and place blame on someone else and that creates so many bad environments on your team that just turn into uh, like shit flinging like so early mm-hmm. on into the games and it just makes some days on on matchmaking just so unbearable and then i have to sit there and listen to jaws preach to me the bastion of hope that is like gm top 500 games where everyone kind of knows what they're doing <laughs> everyone perfect. communicates and there's pro players everywhere and i'm like dude that's great and all but i've got a long way to go before i'm even close to that can you please stop rubbing it in my face and he looks down from the heavens whispers down at me and goes no and just carry locks in Zen, <laughs> dances around somewhere with like Progi and whatnot. He's just uh-huh. very proud of his rank, and he should be. But it doesn't mean I'm less frustrated about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, rank is just a number, man. But we both know it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for us, the number doesn't matter, right? Like, I, I think that's kind of like the bigger takeaway. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, well, like, like if you suck at the game, how could you, how could you like cast the game, right? I'm like, Okay, here's the thing. Like all of course you have to play the game. If you don't play the game, you have no idea, you know, where anybody is or what where the pulse is in the community, but at the same time, like how many Super Bowl winning coaches have won the Super Bowl themselves as a player? 
like almost none of them, but that doesn't mean that you can't still be an amazing coach because that's just a different approach to the game, right? Like Bill Belichick, everyone. I I don't know. I don't know because if he's never won a Super Bowl, then it's kind of like that's your proof right there. I don't know a lot about your <laughs> right. American sports, but even I know he's like the goat when it comes to American football coaches. Freaking amazing. I also don't really know anything about him personally, but <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like, I expected you to be great friends with Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> I, here in America, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So we all we're all part of a club. But but yeah, no, I don't think like has has Monty ever won like a grand championship in Overwatch? No, that doesn't make him any less of one of the best analytical minds we have, right? Like it's mm. it's two different things. Um, you know, it's like saying, well, if you if you to be the best dentist in the world, you have never you have to have never had a cavity or worn braces. It's like what? No, that doesn't have inform my ability to like be a dentist at all my own personal you know experience with dentistry it's it's two totally different things i agree with you entirely on that aspect that you don't need to play the game at a high level to be able to cast it but i do stand in the camp that if you are able to play at that level it does add something mm -hmm. a little bit extra to your commentary uh, that you can't achieve through other means and it's the same oh, thing yeah. with uh, same thing with like uh, pro players turning into color casters afterwards is like playing in the competitive environment can will always give you a higher ceiling but you've still got a lot of work to make to be able to meet that standard now where that kind of double edge comes to it as well i apply the same logic to someone critiquing commentary uh, yeah so they aren't necessarily at the same level to be able to cast overwatch like me or yourself could be able to do but I always use the analogy of you don't need to know how to fly a helicopter to know that it's crashed. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Like how much do you place into community feedback of your casting ability? Yeah, so my whole thing is like be when when people approach feedback and um, this is something else that I've been really proud of through that I've done so far in my career is like the Boop and Hams feedback corner that we do with the BGG casters. Mm -hmm. um, basically we provide like FOD review on like a regular basis uh, but like the strongest piece of advice that I think I've ever given is just be a filter and not a sponge. If somebody tells you something you should absolutely consider it but that never means that their critique or their feedback is the end-all be-all. Oh, you tell too many jokes. I'm never going to tell another joke. No, like maybe you do tell too many jokes. Maybe this person is stupid and doesn't know what they're talking about. And it's a fine amount of jokes. But the point of the feedback is to get you thinking about it. Do I actually tell too many jokes? Let me go back. I felt like, you know, maybe most of them didn't land that last time. Maybe I should like rethink that or your jokes are too long. I've definitely gotten that myself personally. And I'm like, is it really like your first your first reaction is always to be like, no, never. How could I? I'm perfect. Uh, but <laughs> But then, you know, if you go look back, it's like, oh, well, I could definitely be more concise. Or it's like, you know, your jokes are too long. Oh, my God, I'm so bad at telling jokes. I'm never going to tell another joke. Like, I like nobody ever laughs at my jokes. I'm not funny. Like, both of them are like the two extremes. But when really the real answer is probably somewhere in the middle. So as far as like taking comments from Twitter or Reddit, you know, it, it is very difficult to to say like, oh, well, this is valid feedback. This isn't valid feedback. I would say if anybody's like, wanting to become a caster to look to your peers and kind of the people who have been in the industry longer than you uh, as as far as like the validity of the feedback goes they're probably going to know kind of what the industry standard is a little better than some random guy who doesn't like the sound of your voice and in fact it's so annoying i can't describe how much i hate it <laughs> like uh you can you could never you can never take reddit comments at 
full face value, it might like spark a thought like, hmm, are we really not funny? And then if you think about it and you're like, no, I'm fucking hilarious. <laughs> the end. Walk away with your fingers in your mm-hmm. ears to any other feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but a lot of times, again, it is kind of in the middle. We actually got a comment. Uh, Boop and I got a comment that I think was actually some of the some really good feedback, which is like, I love how funny they are. And I love them. But they like I'd love to have hear, heard them call that grab that just happened. Right. <laughs> Rather than just finishing the story that they started a minute ago, which, by the way, that story was amazing. But again, it's like the story can be amazing and that grab can also be really important. And what that comment caused was now I'm like, oh, actually, hmm, you're right. You know, maybe in terms of fight prioritization, we could have called that grab, even though tons of grabs haven't done anything before. That's still like a major thing mm-hmm. that you would want to hear about as a viewer so like that's i think the kind of feedback that i personally find most valuable it's just the one that makes you reflect yourself to just critique it and like almost run it through your own filter and run it through your own assessment to basically make sure whether it holds weight and then you can move on yeah because like a like when you're first starting out of course you're going to have to rely a little bit more on like authority figures or like you know to just kind of find where the road is but once you start going you know you're like running and stuff then you can start balancing feedback with your own experiences and opinions who are some of those authority figures to you on your path so far Hmm. i mean definitely all the owl guys i would say uh you know doa in in particular has you know been making some active effort to mentor the t2 community which i think is is super admirable because like again he's just doing this of his own free time and volunteering it. And so I, I really admire him for his desire to kind of just make sure that the ceiling is always being increased for all casters everywhere, even if it could mean more competition for him directly. Uh, so I, I find that very admirable. I mean, I've had VOD reviews done by a, a bunch of the OWL guys, and each one of them kind of has their own different style, which is valuable in its own way. And I think just kind of getting a, a spectrum, like a broad overview of where owl sits in terms of what they're looking for in broadcast is very important so i would say definitely all of those guys are you now an authority figure to people in broadcast gg for example passing on that wealth of knowledge to the tier that is effectively now uh, kind of below you now that you've started doing north american contenders personally i always have a hard time seeing myself as an absolute authority in almost anything unless it's like academically related because then there's like an objective truth an objective fact that you can state right when it comes to like performance or entertainment i it's really hard like i taught piano for a long time in college and even then when i was like these these were like seven-year-old kids and i absolutely had authority but i would still like second guess like hmm, maybe stylistically that wasn't a bad idea or you know something like that because with art there's never like a true black and white So that's why it's difficult for me to see myself as an authority. However, I do recognize that because of kind of the unique experiences that I've had, uh, had a chance to participate in, that gives me, uh, you know, kind of that backing to provide authoritative feedback, right? Like, yeah, well, I've cast two regions of contenders. That informs my worldview and how I cast. And I see like this kind of level of game. And this is what is important and what's not important when you're dealing with that. Is it the end all be all? Of course. There really isn't any end all be all, but I think like my experiences inform my feedback more than me just feeling like I've reached a peak where my casting instinct 
is beautiful, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't mean like absolute authority because I don't think even the guys who are in Al can class themselves as absolute authority because I think everyone, if they take their job seriously, should be continuously developing and growing and finding new ways to improve themselves. Yep. Um. So I don't think there is actually someone who can sit on top of the mountain and wave down and go, here's the rope, like pass down a rope ladder to you. Because I think a part of, especially finding your own voice, is finding your own way of doing things. And I suppose the analogy I've always used to um, explain it is um, a house is always essentially built in the same way. Where it's four walls, a door, some windows, you've got the roof as well, for the most part. How your house is decorated is entirely up to you. You wouldn't want to walk into the same house. You wouldn't want to walk into your friend's house and see it decorated in the exact same way. When you look to these authority figures above you, I think it's important that you take the, the fundamentals, the consistent patterns between them, basically what we would consider best practice or technique, and then you find your own way to make that your own. Because if you are never going to be a better doa than doa, you're never going to be a better Uber than Uber, (laughs) right? But I guarantee you that Uber and doa are never going to be better than you at being you. Thank you. Well, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> that's that's super true. And and actually, another thing that we talk about a lot, it's like, you know, it's always good to have uh, role models that mm-hmm. you can emulate, but you should never yes. imitate. Right. There's a very fine line between being like, yo, this guy's style is so hype. I love that hype style. I'm going to try and do that, too. And just being like, oh, my God, Uber said this phrase the other day. I'm going to use it. I mean, at that point, that's just plagiarism. Well, they say they, that imitation is the finest form of flattery, but yeah, that then is a fine line. I, I do like throwing in slobber knocker every now and then at the cast, but I always credit our favorite Bren, so it's all right. <laughs> I, another thing to, to bear in mind, I think as well, is that is the importance of understanding how to self-critique as well. Yeah. Right. Because you you know your own vision for what you want to achieve. So when you are doing VOD reviews without the assistance of others, which you should also do to get an outside opinion, because you don't want to be stuck in a feedback loop that's going to enforce bad habits. You need to understand what is the vision? Where did you want to be? Where do you want to take your broadcast? So the ability to self-assess is so important that when I've hired well, I say hired, but took on volunteer casters for other roles before. I didn't judge them by their casting ability. I judged them by their ability to self-assess in VOD review. Mm-hmm. And you can, if you want proof of this, you can ask Jaws about this because uh, he was one of the casters I took on at the Newell to do League of Legends. And our, our interview process for that was essentially, give me a VOD of a game. Me and you are going to sit through and VOD review it. I want to hear how you VOD review it. And I'm going to give you some notes along the way. Yeah. Because uh, especially in volunteer positions where there's no real monetary value, it's only a development tool. So it's a development slot. You want someone in there who's going to work hard and get the most value out of it. That was what was most important to me. And so out of the... I think it was eight casters I had to assess. Jaws was the only person I felt actually knew how to self-critique. And mm. I think it's one of the reasons why he's so good at what he does now is because he has that um, critical self-assessment skill, which is so vital. Yeah, yeah. Because like you are the one who will know yourself the best. Like that's why I think for 
for Boop and I, we try and like schedule at least two VOD reviews so we can see like the difference made because it's not like, you know, necessarily where you end up, but like where you started and then how you're doing now in comparison to that. But you're the one who's going to know your journey better than anybody else. So having that ability to objectively, because you're always going to make excuses. I make excuses for myself all the time, but um, it's to objectively be like, okay, that was a little, yeah. Uh, then, you know, you're your own best tool. I used to make excuses for myself as well. And and Des would like hit me and tell me I'm being stupid. Um, so I don't get away with that. <laughs> I didn't get away with that last year, unfortunately. How are you feeling about Des? You're now bereft of your beautiful partner. And what's it's like the next step for you? Right. I knew that Des was going to leave at the end of this year before he announced it publicly. Obviously, we are very close friends outside of working together. We've known each other for about five years now. So he was he was very clear to me um, uh, later on of last year and basically said, you know, uh, the business is growing at a rate I didn't expect. So I kind of want to go back there and I can't commit. And at the same time, we were hearing information about how the seasons were going to get longer next year. So that's more of a time commitment for Des to be away from the UK because we don't not like we live in the same country or the same area. We have to basically relocate across our continent uh-huh. for like eight weeks. And that kind of time commitment, bless him, he worked as hard as he could like every day when when I'd walk in there, he'd be doing something, developing the business. He'd be doing presentations to potential clients. He'd be coding. He'd be doing whatever. And you could see it was it. It kind of like he existed in a split world where <laughs> half of his focus was on esports and half of it was on his business. And he was never going to succeed fully at one. It's called having one foot in two boats. Or if you want a translated Ukrainian saying, it's if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none. Absolutely. I, I knew Des was going and I fully supported his decision because I know how important his business is to him. It's something that I've had to think about. And the, I'll be honest with the replay. I mentioned it like last time when I was speaking with Promise. It's I could talk a little bit about the process. It's at the moment, um, Blizzard and myself are searching through candidates and getting like test footage with them so just to kind of like see how our chemistry is and how, how, what their technical ability is like to make an assessment and then see whether there's a potential replacement there and I'll, I'll be upfront as well there's no confirmation that even i'm back next year yeah that's kind of how it goes right yep there's no confirmation until you sign the contract which i haven't been able to sign yet because we haven't got that far so you know we'll still we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but it still doesn't mean i'm not going to try and find a suitable replacement i've done some vods with a couple of them and i'm feeling confident about some of them it's about all i can say on that for the time being i was prepared for des's departure so it didn't i i knew how to handle it and what i had to do going into this year but it's gonna be sad I'm a miss y'all. I mean, it's true. I, that is kind of the thing. It's like when the, I feel like even though I love the Blizz community and like the Overwatch community in specific and everything, a lot of times I feel like there's like a lot of like sky falling down kind of moments, you know, where, where talent might get cut or maybe there's a change coming through or a patch or like the skin wasn't exactly like what we wanted the skin to be. It could have been something different that's quote unquote better. And, you know, which again, maybe these are all valid criticisms, but kind of like the level of reaction makes it really hard. I mean, it's the internet, so there's no nuance, but it's either like min or max. It's either garbage or it's the best thing I've ever seen. And a lot of these decisions, you know, kind of, I'm sure, like, have been made with a lot of those considerations behind it. And this is kind of what they chose was the best idea. Or maybe this has been in the works for a really long time and people have been able to prepare or, or that kind of thing. 
So so it can be kind of frustrating sometimes just like listening to uh, listening to the community's reaction when it's like eh, th- this has been going on for a while. This is we're doing this now for the hopes of this or this is actually like a personal decision or that kind of thing. But that's with any industry, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think it was I quite like what Sam did anyway when she announced he was also not going to be returning was basically said, look, there's no drama. There's nothing there's no nothing malicious here. It's just, you know, I'm not gonna be back. Basically, Sam had the foresight to kind of go, Well, there might be a bad reaction to this. I'm gonna go ahead and preface it with the stuff that's important, which is this is not being done for like negative reasons. There's nothing mm-hmm. shady going on. It's just the way things are to try and quash that reaction a little bit. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss Des just because uh, it's kind of like working with your best friend. It's imagine if you got like torn away from like Boop, right? You kind of feel like you get to work with someone you're very close with, and then you don't. So it's a little bit different. But the most important thing for me is like if I'm back next year and they find me a replacement, I don't want to turn that replacement into another Des, and I don't want even I don't want me and that replacement to be another Des and Trid. I want me to be. I want us to be something different that's the sum of our parts and that i will change to accommodate as well as him or her changing to accommodate me that's the most important thing for me for next year is that i don't try and replicate what me and des had last year let's try and find something new build something new and bring something new yeah it's like scary and exhilarating like you never know what's going to happen but what you had was already so good it's like hard to kind of switch Mm. into like the growth mindset you know but yeah i i like it it was not a sure thing that boop and i would be casting as a duo Mm -hmm. i i had a lot of that trepidation early uh in the season but it, it ended up working out so um but like I, I think avast is a perfect partner for zp like i really like avast like that guy is such a good cookie mm-hmm. he's so funny to just some of the some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth we all just go connor um <laughs> but uh but his style is perfect for zp who is very you know technical um he also tends to be on the critical side of of kind of the optimism spectrum and avast you know with his avast wealth of knowledge from his you know pro days he can kind of bring the insight as to why maybe this is like not a good play this is oh they could have done this they could have done that this is not this is like what you're not seeing i think the two of them work really well together in that regard i'm gonna ask you a difficult question now because i don't know if you want to do this or not but I'm going to ask you to play favorites with broadcast GG casters and basically say if you couldn't have Boop and Blizzard were like, we're going to pull a play-by-play caster specifically from broadcast GG up and you could only take one, who do you think would be the best stylistic fit for you? Because it's not about like technical skill. I'm not asking you to put them in a tier list. I'm just asking you who's the stylistic fit that's not Boop. Honestly, like... <laughs> Labosco and I probably had like the most fun on cast. <laughs> if it's not a boop, right? And like Lobo and I actually haven't cast tons of games together. Uh, we did very early on. I just I feel like we kind of both laugh at the same things, and that's what's kind of important to me in terms of finding that chemistry, right? Because like it's the worst feeling in the world if you lay down a joke, and maybe it's the worst joke that's ever been told. And Jesus be my witness, or you know whatever. But co-caster their hope is they'll still laugh at it. Like, and I think that's something that I can always have with Lobo. And I, he got my back. I scratch his back too. And, and so stylistically speaking, I had a really good time casting with him. And he has that like very, he has a perfect sportscaster voice. He actually used to cast hockey. So 
that kind of explains it. But um, he used to cast hockey and he has a very kind of super solid and reassuring style of play by play. He's not going to go super crazy, uh, but like when it's hype, you know, he's going to be hitting those moments. Like you can always be very assured that he's he's just such a super solid and like foundationally strong caster. And he's really funny. So that helps. So that's your that's your ideal pairing if you were forced into that very specific situation. I said yeah, for you. Very specifically. Because, you know, like Lemon and I have cast together tons too, but I don't think that I think that both of us have a very strong style and they don't necessarily complement each other. Like not mm. saying that I didn't enjoy working with her, which I did. We actually cast um this charity event for uh was it Death Blossoms? Oh no, excuse me. It was Team Sailor Scout, a Canadian all women's team was holding a charity event and we like cast like four hours of this charity event together, like Genji Dash only, like 1v1s and like, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff, like all tracer and so on and so forth, like zero gravity, blah blah blah. Um and it was tons of fun. But if we're just talking specifically about like who I have the most chemistry with, it would be Lobo. Okay. Maybe maybe he gets the call up. We don't know what's gonna happen next year. That's one of the scariest things. Are you are you secretly wishing ill on Boop? He's sneezing somewhere. Wait, so, so and you can hear him sneezing? Actually, no, I can kind of hear like. like is, the... he, is he under the weather? Is he just caught out by the Colorado like cold? I I no. I'm guessing it's cold where you guys are. It just... is. It is quite cold. There is snow on the ground. Um, are you still in Ukraine? You're you're back in the UK now, right? As soon as I finish the season, I'm gone. Like, there's a lot of like we talk about how we don't necessarily like Kiev a lot, and it's not to do with like. If we lived there permanently and we had were there from the beginning, we'd probably love it. And there's a lot of cool things around Kiev that we've been able mm -hmm. to do, but we're just not acclimatized to the weather. It makes us very isolated in how we live out there. So we don't go out of the apartment a lot just because mm. it's so goddamn cold for us. So don't like it because we feel isolated. It's not because necessarily there's anything wrong with the city. But no, I, I travel back. I live live in the UK, thankfully, where the weather's not cold, not warm, just rains all the time. And that's manageable. You just have an umbrella. Yeah. You don't need to worry about putting on seven layers of clothes just to go and get some milk. <laughs> Pray to God it doesn't freeze by the time you get back to your house. It's just uh -huh. it's not it's not very nice to just jump in and jump out of that place. Like either live there whole the whole time or just don't go there at all. <laughs> it is kind of one of those things, right? Like everybody's like, oh, the glamorous esports life, but and and there certainly is a lot. There are a lot of perks to it, but I think something that. I certainly didn't account for or no, I, I accounted for it, but I didn't think that it would affect my life as much as it has is just kind of that feeling of transience. Right. Mm -hmm. So and for the people who are like dumb with vocabulary like me, what do you mean? <laughs> transience. <laughs> so like lack of that lack of permanence right like you're always okay. like a tr like another name for a hobo is a transient right like they're always yeah, nomad. You're kind of always just like out there in the world. Like, where do you live? Well, what day is it? Like, what week is it? Right. I, I could be mm. anywhere. And um, and I'm so grateful and glad that I have like friends in L.A. who are super supportive and are always willing to, you know, give me their couch if I need a crash a night and stuff. But kind of that feeling of, um, you know, just like uncertainty. It's not necessarily just uncertainty in terms of where you're going to be living any given week, but kind of, you know, like you said, you're not sure if you're even coming back for the next season. That coupled with kind of the travel difficulties, you have to book a flight, you have to book like a hotel or an Airbnb or contact your friends, you know, what have you. That all kind of like, those are all those unseen and like kind of hidden stressors that start affecting you over time. I'm going to be frank with you. Like, I don't book my flights. I don't book Airbnbs. Like, industry standard is pretty much if you're being relocated to do a job like this, then you would get your flights and your accommodation all sorted for you. 
and mm-hmm. that's kind of the way my arrangement is so i don't have that added stress and i don't think i've ever had to worry about that because if people don't know like industry standard for esports is, is if you're being relocated to an international event your travel and accommodation is covered by the clients and yes. it's not something you expense for afterwards so thankfully i don't have that stress a lot but i do agree with your point of the lack of home stability does weigh on me a lot because i feel like i can't I can't settle into anything and like you do struggle to build a life for yourself in one location when you when not only do you move a lot you then also have the risk of having to move at a moment's notice exactly because it's not even like oh can I get a dog I can't because I gotta move around it's like can I get a soup pot right it's like well where am I gonna put this soup pot like I love soup I really want a giant pot but then oh it doesn't fit in my suitcase or then I gotta leave some clothes behind or you know those kind of decisions like it it becomes so hilarious that I the other day I was like oh well I want to go to the grocery store and make soup Uh, but I was like can I carry this chicken home like in my arms you you know what I mean like will it go bad and like the walk back you know because like again you move somewhere you don't have a car necessarily maybe uh and and it's all those kind of like weird small decisions that you would never think of like if you just had an apartment to yourself yeah it's it's weird it's funny (laughs) I find it like funny where you have to think of those other decisions I have it like one of the biggest things for me at the moment is like I I love uh, rugby which is a very English sport and it's basically, if you don't know what it is, it's kind of like your football, but without the pads and without all the stopping. But it's essentially the same sport. You People people run at each other. Rugby is great, man. It is. Oh, you know rugby. I love rugby, man. I, I, well, I watch the All Blacks all the time because I like to see it when people win. <laughs> because as much as I love rugby, I also came into rugby super late in my life. So I don't actually know all the nuances or the teams or stuff. But like if I, if there's like a clear winner and a clear loser, I like start to figure out kind of what's happening. You know what I mean? So, but, but yeah, no, I love rugby. I, Vowels actually, Vowels, I just found out recently, used to play rugby. He he's a he's a British lad. He probably went to a grammar school, so he probably knows how to play rugby. It just uh, I look at I look at Val's, and I know he's a rough hike because I've met him in person. I would my guess would be he'd be a scrum half or mm-hmm. possibly a winger, depending on like what level of play he was at. Because like he definitely wouldn't be one of the he definitely would be one of the forwards who are the guys who are like in the scrum, which is that big massive meat just where they're trying to fight for control mm-hmm. of a ball. Where they're like scrub weight like nine hundred kilograms. I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I played. So I I played as uh, initially as a prop, and then you're gonna laugh at this other role. I transitioned into a hooker. Mm. Ah, hey, hooker's important, man. Keeps the keeps the whole game running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Most Americans, when they hear that role, they're just like, excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> I used to I used to work with an emergency physician called Dr. Hooker. Nice. <laughs> and we also had a gastroenterologist called Dr. Whore. <laughs> no E, but... <laughs> still, still sounds the same though, right? Mm-hmm. Dr. Hooker paging Dr. Whore. <laughs> Dr. Hooker paging Dr. Whore. Can you come, come to the emergency department, please? Wait, that was over the tannoy? Yeah, over the PA system. Sometimes you would hear for a consult for Dr. Whore or Dr. Hooker paging, you know, whoever. It's super hilarious. I mean, laughter is the best medicine. So I guess that's got to be helpful. So they say, (laughs) I'm sorry, it's cancer. (laughs) But my name's Dr. Whore. Hey, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Start like getting the horn, just patch Adams, that stuff. But uh, no, what I was going to say was, um, so I started playing hooker and basically my job is like I'm dead in the middle of that massive meat and the hooker as 
the name suggests would be like you hook the ball back with your foot so like, the ball gets put in down the middle and then you have to hook the ball back whilst also having like both packs of um horsepower so to speak just pushing at each other to get a better position over that ball it's one of the reasons i'm certain this is one of the reasons why i effectively have no neck is because my neck i believe was compressed from me playing rugby <laughs> uh just under the pressure uh your neck's just another muscle man it's gotta it's gotta contribute it's gotta contribute but it's like a tree stump like it's i had to measure it because i was trying to get some new shirts it's like 18 and a half inches that's the like diameter of my neck the circumference sorry circumference of my neck what am i saying <laughs> that would be that would be something oh, it'd be like that um that meme that was on there with that guy with the um with a really thick neck he was like a meme on twitter just before christmas i think yeah like that's probably 18 inch diameter right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the, why I brought up rugby anyway was that, like, I can't join my local team as much as I like to because I don't know how much I'm actually going to be able to train with them, to play with them, to take part in, like, all the other stuff, like the social aspect of it all as well. Yeah. It's one of the biggest things I dislike about the freelance nature of my job is that I just can't settle down anywhere. Don't get me wrong. It, it it does sound like first world problems to someone. It's like, oh, you you get to you get to travel a lot. You you commentate over video games and stuff. And don't get me wrong. There's loads of privileges and loads of benefits that are awarded to me just because of the job role I have. There's a lot of problems that you do have that you don't get in any other roles just because of the the freedoms come with a price. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really is kind of the, the give and take, right? You just got to find out what's what's most important to you. Um, yeah, that that that's kind of how it goes with anything. Because like what I was headed before coming into esports was I was going to go to medical school, like thus, you know, working with Dr. Horror and Dr. Hooker. <laughs> but um, with like medicine, right, you say like, oh, well, you have the stability, you have the income and everything is so set. But you have to remember also your giving up yeah four years college four years medical school and then three to five years of residency depending on your specialty so you're looking at like a sum total of nine years maybe 10 depending on your specialty again like after college so you're probably going to be quote unquote adulting when you're like in your 30s and depending on where you landed in terms of like your path to college or out of it you know you may have already used up quite a few of those years and then you got to look at the cost benefit like you know do do i go back do i look for a new job like what's going to make me happy and so yeah i definitely feel you on that how how far did you get through the american education system then because it's different like you have to go to met you have specific schools you then go to rather than the uk it's just we just go to university like how does that actually work for you because it's something i don't understand myself <laughs> Well, so like, um, so everybody goes elementary school, one through five, grades mm -hmm. one through five, then middle school, six through eight, high school, nine through 12. When you graduate high school, you're 18 usually, and then you move on to college. So that's generally speaking a four-year degree. You get a bachelor of arts or a bachelor of science. I also used to be a campus tour guide. So <laughs> if, if the spiel gets too long or, you know, I'm getting my flowery prose is becoming too, too long-winded, just let me know. Um, and so you come out with a, a bachelor's degree and then you can choose to go to a post-bac. You can either go into like academia, get your master's, get your PhD, or there are other professional routes that you can go, professional schools you go to after you finish college. So you can get your dentist degree, you can get an MD, you can get a, a license to practice medicine, you can become a JD, you can mm -hmm. go to law school. 
So I think being an actuary, you also have to go to like a, a kind of financial school. Excuse me, I don't know the <laughs> details. But um, but yeah, so essentially you have to, right now in America, you're in a place where you have to have a college degree of some kind in order to be optimally employable, right? You don't have to go into those professional degrees necessarily, mm -hmm. but there was actually, oh my fucking God, there was a piece of news just recently where Oscar Mayer Wiener, so they're like a, a meat packing and a, and a meat product company here. They produce like little hot dogs and wieners and that kind of thing they have something called a wiener mobile <laughs> that you drive across the country to i'm guessing promote oscar meyer wiener products and sell hot dogs and it hit the news because in the application to be the wiener driver for the oscar meyer wiener mobile you need a college degree <laughs> Just like let that sink in. Like it's we're not talking like UPS driver or like Amazon. It's a wiener mobile. You need to have a college degree in order to apply. What in? Do they specify what they want from it? Uh no, I don't think so. I, I don't remember. It probably just like a BA requires four year college degree. That's that's often what you see. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. It really makes me deeply concerned that I absolutely was a detestable human being when I was in university. Like I was a, I was the worst. Like I, I didn't care about that. I was like I didn't tr treat it seriously. So all I did was I went to university for a couple of years, worked in a bar, ended up managing a bar for a bit, but then I came without a degree and 30k worth of debt. So the debt's not as bad as it is in America, just because like we have caps and limitations on what we can do. Um, but I didn't really get anything from university. It's one of my biggest regrets in life. And it's one of the things that I'm like, if I only went to university now with the mindset and attitude towards development I have now, I would have succeeded so much more. Because like, ironically, I'm now self-teaching the content that was on my course to myself except I'm not going to get a degree at the end of it. <laughs> right, right. So that's always fun. It's so funny. I mean, people say like when it's like young people, they have all the time and energy in the world to travel and live their lives, but no money. Then when you're like 60, you have all the money in the world, but no time and no energy. Funny how things line up, right? Well, it's the, it's the pyramid of college or university. It's like you, you can choose two out of three, sleep, good grades, or social life. You can only take two out of three. Yep. Only two, only two. And that's that's one of the problems as well, because I that was a huge imbalance with social life at university mm. and sleep actually. Part of all the clubs? Uh just a part of uh just a part of rugby. Mm. And rugby clubs in the UK are basically the same as like fraternities. That kind of attitude towards things. We I was in I was in Cal band. I was in the um the, the marching band at University of California, Berkeley. I played bass drum and I was in it for like four years. And yo, dude, like people say, Oh, sports like sports teams drink really heavily. It's like that fratty, you know, culture and stuff. Dude, like the most frat behavior I've ever personally witnessed was in band. The, the drinking, <laughs> holy cow, like so much drinking, so much partying. Cause like you you go and support school functions, right? So like sports stuff, you go to play at volleyball games. We played mm -hmm. at like water polo games before, baseball games, definitely every home football game and some of the away games too. So you basically run your life around sports the sport, school sports teams and like every Saturday that there's a game well there's got to be like a band performance and then after the performance what do you need to have a massive raging party and like I've like kicked over cups of puke <laughs> like I've opened the washing machine and somebody had puked in it like uh, it was super gross but you know kind of fun <laughs> Maybe when I'm ready to leave esports, I might tell all the stuff I did at university because a few things of like vomit 
everywhere is very tame in comparison to some of the stuff I've had to do. It's not for a PG audience, not while I have some modicum mm. of a public life. I mean, like Derry and like loads of other casters I know, like outside the industry, just as friends, they all know because I've told them like the stuff I had to do. But uh, yeah, it's it's not kind. I'm trying to think if there's anything I can like uh-huh. tease of it. <laughs> without giving away too much it's it's kind of hard because it's just like well this substance was on this person it was here not 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 this person on this specific part of them (laughs) i I will tell this one then because this one's i think is quite it's quite ludicrous but i don't think it's too bad so they got a paddling pool full of like giant chilies (laughs) and you had to chili wait what no, 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 you had to chili bob. That's, that's only the first part of it. And I, I'm so thankful I was the first person who had to do it. Oh, no. Because throughout the rest of the night, if you had to urinate or you had to throw up, you had to do it in the pool. So thankfully, it wasn't me because I got in there very early while it was relatively clean. <laughs> chili bobbed, got out. But then, like, there were people throughout the rest of the evening who had to, like, go in there and chili bob oh. with what can only be... The best descriptor I have of it is human soup. Yo. <laughs> oh my god. That that oh god. Oh god. I mean <laughs> I, I hope it was like outside of the house. No, no, so it wasn't in a house. So we rented a, a comedy. Oh club my god! And <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> So we rented a cop. So we'd have like our social function like every week, and we'd rent a comedy club. Uh-huh. And before we got in there, the entire floor and part of the lower walls around where the area Sticky. we had was just like plastic shrink wrap. <laughs> so that so the idea was that afterwards any spillage was just like oh we just put cover up all this plastic and the floor's fine (laughs) oh my god dude that reminds me of of um oh my god the pancake challenge so back one time at band camp uh this was actually not marching band a different band but it was so the whole the entire brass section would so that's like tubas trumpets trombones french horns Mm -hmm. baritones like they would so they would all come up to a table and this is like a performance act by the way like i had to be there for this <laughs> they would all come up to a table and like eat big mouthfuls of these pancakes that are laid out and then you would oh my god so like each one of them would come up in turn and then take a big mouthful of pancake and then spit it into like a plastic cup and at the very end brandon rice drank the whole thing ah oh, why <laughs> why do you do this <laughs> I just uh, <coughs> I'm like gagging thinking about it. Oh my god! Yeah, it, it does kind of like get me going as well because I I like look back at the stuff I did and in the moment I was like, ah, oh, this is completely normal. <laughs> and then like, and then and then you look back like you get out of that whole environment and that headspace and you look back at it and you're just like, wait, I did that? Why did I do that? That made no sense. <laughs> it's so fun, isn't it? Funny, the human body can just like do accomplish so many things on adrenaline. I don't even think it was adrenaline. It was more like fear. Oh, it was more like fear because most of the t- most of the stuff I did like that I did when I was a fresher, mm-hmm. right? Which is basically like you just do whatever like anyone who's not a fresher tells you to yeah, do. You kind of have to, right? Yeah, and they keep you they keep you in line, right? And that's how it works. It's all like fear and like peer pressure, and you know. I look back and I think it's like absolutely fucking stupid now, but uh-huh. at the time it was like really important, and like you kind of just adhere to the rules and just accept it as fact. And the only thing that gets you through it is the idea that you get to do all these horrible things to someone else when you grow up like it's yep and so like i i, I think it's entirely stupid i just don't 
like it or agree with it now but in the moment i was so committed to it right? <laughs> it's freaking bizarre right like kind of the desire to be part of a group erases the individual identity and remolds it so that like the group identity mm -hmm. becomes your identity right it's actually like a sociological phenomena it's called erasing the self right because like you would think that like like what kind of pressure would compel somebody to do something like so bizarre or so crazy and and it, and it really is the eraser erasage of yourself so that you can become one of the group and that it just becomes your your whole identity i mean i feel like all of us have become one with goats at this point through the shared <laughs> suffering the shared bonding through suffering <laughs> it, it it's only i think you only become a part of goats is you advocate for goats so like if you're if you are in ranked and you're saying can we just play goats then that's it you're a part of the hive mind you've been consumed if you're on if you're on twitter or reddit and you're going ah, goats is like really good to watch actually and you're trying to like make reasons for why goats is good to watch it's like you you've been consumed at that point. Here, here's the thing man like i like goats i just don't only like goats oh that's the argument you're making oh no no because i've gone to bat for goats before right just because like um i think it requires a different skill like the way the way i how did they describe it to someone? I said, the reason why people don't like goats is because it's like going to watch chess and because one of the players didn't move the piece at lightning speed it's boring mm -hmm. and the way i describe it like that is because like you're looking at a different type of skill that's not so visceral you're looking at things like cooldown management positioning um you know alt rotation like that's more important than like i'm gonna jump off and pop off with genji it's a different kind of skill that's less visceral and so it needs a greater level of understanding of the game mm -hmm. to get satisfaction out of watching it oh yeah for sure this is it's like goats is good for like a contenders level audience but it would be very difficult for like an owl audience oh they're gonna have to figure it out well <laughs> Hey, you never know. I, I, the, the massive patch changes coming through, like goats, I think will still be strong. But it's just a question of is anything else viable? That's kind of always going to be the question. People will have to get used to goats. Like they're just so tenacious and can eat anything. It's really hard to kill them. Yeah, they are very tough. Have you seen the way that they stick to mountains as well? Like at those Dude, like 70 crazy. degree inclines? I, this is, I like, yeah, no, exactly. I can't believe we're like synergizing on this level because speaking of goats sticking to mountains, I was just watching BBC Planet Earth and <laughs> this like, <laughs> this little baby goat, which must have weighed like 20 pounds. It was like, oh no, will the goat be able to escape like the cougar or the mountain lion or something? And it was literally just standing on this sheer cliff and the lion could not get to it it was like five feet away from this lion like if the lion's paw would have been like two feet longer it could have reached this goat but the goat was literally just standing there like what you go do bitch and, and the <laughs> mountain lion had to back off like actually the mountain lion was above the goat so if it went any further it was going to slide off this cliff i feel like the analogy there is like goats balancing is the cliff and like where goats is is like goat where <laughs> goat is, is the goat's composition and then like at the bottom is like tracer <laughs> <laughs> waiting to go like if you slip off that balance just a little bit more trace is gonna come back <laughs> yeah exactly exactly she's hungry waiting her jaws are open at the bottom right <laughs> uh no, i think that i think we will see some goats in in owl to begin with but then like the patches will cycle it through i think that like there will be teams that will i think will be headstrong and not run goats um but there will be teams that will definitely run it i imagine the heavily european influence paris eternal 
would be looking at goats mm. to some degree. So um, yeah, I imagine that's going to be happening. Also, side note as well, there was someone who got in trouble in the UK. He was a TV presenter because it looked like he rugby tackled a goat or a, a sheep, I think. I don't know why. I think he was doing a bit like a, a, like a wildlife show. Well, not a wildlife show. I guess it's like a countryside show where they just talk about what's going on in like, the country. It's really weird. Huh. Like, there's some weird stuff on TV in the UK. And I think like he ha- they had to like wrangle the sheep somehow and get them to together but he um and i'll send you the link as well because it's just <laughs> thank you thank you i need more of this content in my yeah, life rugby tackle sheep i guess i just remember i just remember way back in the day boris johnson tackled like a three-year-old playing like an exhibition he like he like tripped and into this child kind of by accident right like he didn't mean to but the effect was a grown man bowling over a small human right just put the link there um poor guy uh it's like a one minute clip yeah i'll I'll have to watch it afterwards farm country file far adam hansen farm bbc presenter rugby tackle ram sheep video Mm, i think that's pretty descriptive i think that's exactly what we're going oh Oh, dude, I I have, speaking of British products that I have had the opportunity to sample, Great British Bake Off just got into it like last two weeks when when we were leaving uh, LA from Contenders. Dude, holy cow! I am simultaneously perplexed. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there because you you found the worst British person to speak to about this because I have never watched it. I've never watched it. You've never watched it? Okay, so let me try and describe it to you, a British person. I've just never watched it. I have never (laughs) taken an interest in it, but I know exactly what it is. Um, Oh, it's it's okay, because here's the thing. Like I am I personally have no stake in this as well. Like British baked goods will continue to be (laughs) lovely and exist. And but like just like having having that on in the background, like occasionally sometimes you just hear something so like bafflingly <laughs> British. It's like deliciously amazing. I just like, oh, well, that's quite a scrummy scone. Oh, you're just a massive. I, I don't think you're a fan of Bake Off. I just think you're a fan of Mary Berry. Like, <laughs> I, I do love Mary Berry. They got rid of her in the recent in the most recent season or she left. I'm not entirely sure. And this B- BBC is kind of, in the UK. It's kind of like PBS, right? Just public, right? Your taxes pay for it. You have a thing called a TV uh-huh. license in the UK and mm-hmm. the funds from that go to funnel public television oh. and radio, which is just the BBC. So Great British Bake Off was on the BBC. BBC doesn't make the programs. They pay for production companies to put the channels on it. The oh. production company realized that they had like a really good show and people were watching it. They wanted more money. And another channel, yeah, another channel outbid BBC for it. So they went on to a different channel. And the 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 cast of people, for the most part, apart from Paul Hollywood, didn't want to go across. So that's why it wasn't really like Mary Berry just deciding to leave. It was just the production company took it to another channel. And I don't think Mary Berry agreed. Oh, Mary Berry. She, oh my goodness. I don't know how such a, a beautifully preserved woman can eat so much pastry <laughs> and still stay so tiny. Like, yo, I feel like my weight fluctuates at least 27 times during <laughs> the day, depending on how much cheese I've consumed. Do you ever, I, I do this all the time because like Boop has this massive like full length mirror between the game room and the kitchen. Every time I pass by going into the kitchen from the game room to get a snack because I'm a fat ass, I get to look at like the shape and size of my face. Just be, Ugh. <laughs> 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 I don't actually do that myself. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> gonna... 
it's good not to. I, I would say it definitely helps not to be, you know, constantly thinking about your body image because like, hey, if you're healthy, if you're happy, if you're working out every day and eating, you know, three squares. I mean, I, I'm taking more of an interest with it recently just because like since the beginning of the year, I was like, ah, oh, every year at January, I'm like, I'm going to lose some weight this year, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I say that every January and then I never do it. Because uh, I think I the way I looked at it was, and this something that's changed about me recently is I looked, I wanted to do too much at once, and then I overwhelm myself with the amount of change, and there's just natural resistance to that. This year, my strategy has been to just add different things over time once they become habit. Yeah, I, I saw your I saw your tweet about your the run right, your post post run photos and everything. Yeah, that's super good. So that's something that I've only just done for like the past two weeks, which is a program called Couch the Five K. So you basically just do you run for a set amount of time, walk for a bit. Yeah, so I've started doing that just to start running again. Other things are going on, like I started doing intermittent fasting, and I started that much earlier and got into the habit of you know only eating in eight hour window and fasting for sixteen hours before I have enough a meal that's now habit to me and that was i put that in play before i even started running and before i even started like refining what i was eating and now from the beginning of january to what's coming up to the end of january i've now slowly incorporated intermittent fasting couch to 5k and now i'm also like on a fixed calorie diet as well combine those things all together slowly they've made the change i wanted to make at the beginning of every year but just spacing it out over the course of a month and easing into it has made it so much more palatable that i think there's a greater level of success involved in that it really is kind of just ingraining those habits i think that's like the biggest difficulty with me like throughout my whole life i've always been uh, in chinese we have a phrase which means five gulps of hot air i i only have five breaths like it's i'm going in hot and heavy like i'm giving it everything but i'm only going to last for five breaths <laughs> that's like my thing like when i find like a new a new workout or like i'm like oh my god i've totally been neglecting my lats <laughs> or something i'll go in and I'll like work my lats for like one week and then like two weeks of break nothing and then i'm like oh shit i my butt's like sagging i gotta go in and do some like butt stuff and then go in and get some butt reps in or whatever for like a week and then you stop again it's like keeping that consistency mm. that will put you over the edge right because these are like actual self-improvement when people talk about like i'm a better person now like than i was like two years ago like this is the stuff that you're talking about it's not going to be super flashy or glamorous but it's like your day-to-day -day, how much of like those new routines have you actually incorporated and got locked down that's like what you're heading towards and I, oh man i gotta get on it they say you have to do something for at least 30 days it's uh 20 because i noticed because i stopped smoking as well 27 days to form a habit and 90 90 to oh. uh, to make it permanent to the point where you would like tonight it's 90 to the point where it becomes your default so doing it not doing it would take more effort than doing it wow dude you you quit smoking congratulations man i i recently quit smoking too and that's just like it's, i it's so hard when did i quit um it was just i think it was actually i've got it down i've got it written down here because it's something that's tracked on like my phone at the moment where is it it was i my last cigarette was basically five months ago today oh that's that's a real milestone i think the real milestone for me with that was when not smoking was a it wasn't something i had to think about doing it was just my default was to not smoke so no cravings and whatnot and now i don't really think about it uh, i'm just aware of it the only time i actually think about it is when i'm like when i ask myself do i have the willpower to do something i go well yeah i fucking quit smoking that's demonstrating my willpower right there if i can quit smoking <laughs> 
I can only eat in an eight hour window, right? So quitting smoking has been like a catalyst for other changes in my life, not because of like, oh, now that I don't smoke, I could do all this other stuff. It's because it's proof of what willpower can do so that I know that if I then use that same if I the willpower has now been actualized to me because I've seen the effects of it, I know that I can do it with other stuff and apply it to other stuff. Yeah, it, it it isn't that weird. Like I feel like like when we were like little, the way or at least my way, <laughs> the the way that you did stuff was because somebody told you to do it, right? But now it's like actually coming from you, right? You're just like that isn't good. Like I'll just stop doing it, you know? And like and the way that you accomplish it is like by mind gaming yourself, right? It's like, "Oh, well, I've been able to do this before. Of course I can do like this next thing." Isn't it funny how like we're simultaneously are like, "Well, we've covered we've just like discussed human beings down to the nines <laughs> today. We're your best critic, you're your harshest critic, and you you're your worst enemy too in terms of getting like real progress done. You got to kind of almost like trick yourself. How you grow up and you're told what to do and then you suddenly hit a point where you make those own decisions. They actually just like remind me of a book I'm reading right now. And one of the concepts of that is something called libertarian parentalism. Yeah, libertarian parentalism, which is basically the idea that um, you don't want to enforce fixed rules onto people. And this could apply to yourself, but you want to incentivize the changes you want to see rather than I don't know, rather than saying that, like, I wanted someone to stop smoking, basically make it so that, like, if you didn't smoke, you would receive some benefit you wouldn't otherwise. But it's not to say, like, mm -hmm. I've banned you from smoking. I've just incentivized the other course yeah. of action. And that kind of thing I've started applying to myself as well. And, you know, you might subtly go, oh, I'm going to apply it to someone else. If I want them to change, I'm just going to give them a nudge. I'm just going to give them a nudge in that direction. If it's good, it's a win-win, right? Like you you become, you get this ingrained habit because everybody needs that nudge initially. Like when I first cut down on my drinking, I smoke cigarettes, I drink, man, I'm just a mess. That part there, like that just reminded me of something I did when I was much younger. Um, when I was uh, 17 in my rugby club at my town, we had a meeting with the senior rugby team. So like the, the adults team, because we were still like under 17. So the legal drinking age is like 18 in the UK. And we were in a meeting because so it's basically all the senior teams were there and like the development teams which was us and we had to go up and set like pr uh, promises and goals we were going to set to ourselves and like the adults all had like oh we're going to do this extra hour of training in a week and then when it came to like our one it was i'm not going to turn up hungover to matches i'm not going to like smoke before matches and the adult <laughs> teams were just like what the fuck is wrong with these kids <laughs> just... yeah what what <laughs> i okay <laughs> that's that's funny <laughs> Talk, talk about different <laughs> life stages but yeah like we would in band we had do you remember four locos four loco wasn't a drink but i hear it referenced by a lot of americans so i know roughly what it okay was. okay you you missed nothing except the opportunity to kill brain cells because <laughs> so, like four locos the selling point the selling point of four locos was that they had both alcohol and caffeine in it it's like taking a 16 ounce jaeger bomb it's massive. It's huge. It's disgusting. It's all like gross ass flavors, like electric peach, blue watermelon and shit. But we had something called Four Loco Fridays, where all of the Newman, aka like me and the rest of us would go out and buy Four Locos for our upperclassmen. And of course, we also had like got a dollar to like get one for us too. And we would hug them before practice, put our drums on, hike up like a mile and a half to the practice field and then just play all of practice wasted. <laughs> like it was 
bad. Like, I don't know how we got away with it as long as we did. And then we had Julia Persinger. She was like, we should do Four loco for Thursdays too. I'm like, nope, I can't. Nope, it's not going to happen. Nope, nope, it is not possible. So uh, we have a drink that's, uh, you could actually Google this and see that the effect it has on people, mainly in Scotland. There's a drink called <laughs> Buckfast, which is a tonic well. wine, and it has more caffeine per drop than Red Bull, but has the same alcohol content as wine, and it's very cheap. And so oh, you no. had four Loco Fridays. We had uh, who was it when I did it? It was um, Matt, a guy called Matt McCready was someone who wasn't in uh, wasn't a fresher. And every week, a fresher would have to sit down and drink an entire bottle of Buckfast with Matt McCready. It's called McCready's Marvelous Medicine. <laughs> alliteration was a big thing and then the year after it was um Bikenya's Buckfast Bonanza oh that's a good one that stuff is lethal because it gets you incredibly drunk but it gives you the energy to act on all your stupid ideas uh-huh. and I think that that's an amazing drink and next time I come out to LA I'm actually going to bring a bottle with me instantly and introduce it into the ecosystem and see what happens. It's like bringing rabbits to Australia. It's you have no idea. I'm just thinking like because I I know what it does to people. I'm just thinking like what would Bren be like if I gave him Buckfast? And oh part God. of me says that he's already had Buckfast. You can see it in his eyes, man. That guy's that guy's lived. Yeah, I reckon if I gave Bren a bottle of Bucky, it could turn lethal quite quickly. <laughs> That's crazy because like th- here's the thing. The funny part is like when you're like shwasted you think everything's fine and dandy and you're yeah. just normal. But like our band director, Robert Kalanico, you know, praise his soul. He's not dead, but he's retired mm. at this point, probably because of us. Uh, <laughs> at one point he was like, is Perk, is is per- is percussion drunk right now? And then Jeff Wayland <laughs> goes, are you? And then he's like, touche. All right, fuck. <laughs> But like everybody could tell, literally everybody could tell. And luckily it was it was Friday because at that point, because the game's on Saturday, you already know your show. But like, yikes, man, that's just like, like you said, it seems like such a good idea when you're doing it. And then you look back and you go, what was wrong with me? What kind of degenerate was I? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to start wrapping it up now because I've taken way more of your time than I thought I was going to. It's it's been tons of fun, man. Like just yarning. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I mean, first one down, we got there's always time for more in the future where we got the, oh, yeah, got the rhythm down. So, yeah. I mean, the whole point of this was just basically.